0: Most of those things are, 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 are just discipline. If I do them and I do them consistently, predictably and reliably, you are almost all but guaranteed to become wealthy above and beyond just a big active income. It's a matter of discipline. If you do those things, it's all but systematic because it's driven in discipline, not so much as the active income, which is around skill set and intelligence, education, et cetera.
1: You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast.
2: Welcome to another great episode of the Real Estate of Things podcast. I'm your host, Nate Trunfield with Lima One Capital. And woof, we're in for a special treat today. Uh, this is a man that has been all around real estate. Uh, I'm going to name you uh, the investor whisperer. I don't know if you've ever been called that. Um, and somebody that I'm also going to use a word that I've taken and learned from you. You are a true go-giver in many ways, uh, Mr. Jason Medley uh, with The Collective Genius. Jason, welcome to the Real Estate of Things podcast, man. Thanks, Nate. I appreciate you having me on today, brother. I'm looking forward
0: to uh, to hanging out with you for the next 30 to 45 minutes, and hopefully we can bring some information to the table that's uh, that's valuable to everybody.
2: I I know that. And uh, for those of you that don't know Jason or the Collective Genius, I'm just fortunate to have been in uh, what I like to consider family um, in a mastermind for the last four or five years. And I know you'll provide a lot of value because that's what you do for a living is provide value and content and insights, whether it's firsthand or through others. And you have a a phenomenal team uh, and a great consortium and again, family Uh, How how many members are in Collective Genius now? As far as members go, there's
0: probably north of 500, but as of memberships, so in other words, like if it's you and a business
2: partner, that's one membership.
0: Membership Membership-wise, there's about 322, I believe, 322.
2: Awesome. Awesome. So let's actually get there real quick. So there's now two different groups. What are the high-level parameters, qualifications, if you will, to get into those? That'll set the stage on sort of who you surround yourself with and who you provide value to on a daily basis.
0: We run two different communities. We have what we call CG Premier, which is our, our uh, upper level community. It's you know to 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 put a demographic on it. It's it's typically guys like me that are you know 35 to 55. They've been in the business for a while. They're established. They have you know they they're probably running a multi million dollar business anywhere to you know 30 to 40 million dollar business. Some even bigger. Some up to close to 200 million. Um, so it's a it's a high level room. Uh, these, these, uh, these ladies and gentlemen are typically, you know, on the house flipping side, flipping north of 100 homes. Um, a lot of times have sizable rental portfolios, or if it's on the multifamily side, they're, uh, you know, they're typically buying a, a couple thousand doors a year or, or so. And uh, so that's kind of our upper tier. And then uh, we have CG select which is you know demographic wise it's a little younger audience they haven't been in the game as long that's typically probably more like 25 to to thirty five ish and they are again they've probably been in the business for for three to five years uh, not quite as established still working on really creating a business that has systems and processes and getting their team firing on all cylinders and getting to a point where they're operating off of, of kpis and and you know uh just uh trying to trying to pull it all all together and so those are the the two levels uh that we have right now
2: pretty impressive groups and very impressive content and value provided again just being being first-hand a member has been uh really where I've learned probably the most about what it takes to be an operator and you know I think just to touch on a comment you hit like I think no matter where people are at in the life cycle of being an investor, I think everybody's still trying to figure it out. And that's, to me, what makes it so interesting. But we may circle back to that. So, you know, you see a lot of high caliber operators of all shapes and sizes all throughout the country, all on different investment strategies. These last six to 12 months have been a doozy you know, talk about the people side of it. What have you seen, you know, from the membership and family base that that you connect with as far as their thoughts, their actions over the last six to 12 months? Yeah. um, Gosh, where to start there? Um,
0: Everything has changed. That's really the best way I would describe it. I mean, if you go back to when this first kind of all started, which was, um, I I feel confident that we called it and, 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 saw it coming. And, um, that doesn't mean everybody listens. Um, I I think it hit homes, the, the, the drum banged, uh, last summer. Uh, again, we, we spoke of this well before we're we're of the philosophy that, um, you should always be prepared rather than trying to, you should always prepare for the future rather than trying to predict the future. And so we're always trying to prepare our audience for these things. But, uh, regardless of that, you know, the, 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 the gavel fell probably, end of last summer, Q3 and Q4 were really tough. And, you know, the actions that people took, um, it was, it was swift. It was drastic. It was, you know, people were cutting expenses. Uh, They were cutting people, right? Their staff that had been with them for extended periods of time. Um, They started really looking at marketing and and, and saying, okay, I've got to, I've got to cut this and increase that. Underwriting, underwriting was a, a big You know underwriting was loose because there was just this phenomenal uh spirit in the market in which like if you found a house somebody was going to buy it and if you're off a little you know if you're off five grand on the value we'll let it sit for two weeks and be worth another five and you know if i if i underestimated my rehab cost and went over 10 grand and it took me three months longer than i thought it would instead of that being a sin that was a blessing you made more money because you messed up more because the cows were appreciating and so underwriting, sure uh, that you're actually buying a deal, not just a house. Um, those underwriting parameters and uh, buy boxes tightened up dramatically, and the skills used in actually creating those those uh, those buy numbers have have uh, had to be increased. Um, a lot of people who are on a high and carrying too much debt. Um, more importantly, not just a lot of debt, but adjustable debt, short-term adjustable debt have you know had to really spring into action and try and uh eradicate that debt uh and and replace that debt um uh and I've seen a lot of people too you know uh really realize how inefficient they are number one as CEOs and owners of the business and how they operate and how inefficient their teams and uh processes were right um, so, you know, my my answer would be that everything has changed. There's also been a big shift, um, especially at the the wholesaling level, where it was all about buyers. Um, I mean, sellers, right? I got to find a house. I got to find a house. We got to market for seller, seller, sellers. And, and now there's a big, big shift over into I need to put as much love in finding buyers as I do sellers because uh, buyers were everywhere. And then they tucked up. Uh, and, and kind of went away. And so you only had one side of the spigot that was that was running. And so it was just, uh, you know, we're in what I call the the, the gap. Uh, we're in that spot between where kind of sellers are still holding on to the pricing of yesterday, but an investor is unwilling to pay that price. And kind of until that gap closes and they, they meet again, it's just difficult to conduct business in a velocity of which is predictable and reliable. And so I think everything has changed. The, the system, even the systems and processes that people built to function in a mar- in the market that was two years ago or three years ago, those systems and processes no longer work in, in today's market. So it wasn't just a slowing of volume. It was my volume has slowed. My lead sources have slowed. The, the people I had in acquisitions, I now need in dispositions. And I don't have a comp structure for that. Like it just all kind of went, kind of went haywire
2: everything's changed and you just covered a lot of bases there. But as you listen to this, you know, you you said it early on and and I can just tout this because I was there listening to it is it's collective genius. CG, you guys did call a lot of this, not to say that you're predicting the future, but um, you you know, what I always take is just the sound principles and disciplines that are fundamental to run a business. And as there's all this tailwind and momentum as investors of all strategies saw over the last number of years, you can become complacent and then it sneaks up on you and then reality punches you in the face. And it's good to have a community around you to help support you and give you the ideas and solutions that you need to to work through the issues. Um, you you know, there's a lot of themes and I think we'd take the whole podcast and then some to talk about some of the, the Collective Genius themes that you and your leadership crew have continuously pushed and kept present and top of mind. But can you just Talk about a few of the top main themes over the last few years that you've been talking about to uh, to the Collective Genius family. I think there are a couple over the last few years. You know, when you see a market in this frenzy, and I'm I'm 51, I've been through a
0: few cycles, I've seen this before. Um, the only reason I can speak to it from an education educational perspective is because I I had myself had learned the hard way. Um, but I only I'm I'm a fast learner, right? <laughs> I only got to hear it once, or or be the victim once. That's it. Um, but yeah, there were a couple of themes and that was, you know, as the market was just getting uh, so crazy and you could just make money without really having, not really being operation tight, we were really pushing, you know, scaling to get better versus simply scaling to get bigger, right? There's a big difference, scaling to get better versus scaling to get bigger. Um, and then, you know, we also have, uh, Effectively, kind of the the energy towards the energy put into making it requires an equal amount of energy towards keeping it right on, on the money side. Um, so, you know, there are a, a couple of themes that, you know, we've really, really, really been pushing on. And, and you know, the other side of that, I mentioned one earlier. Um, our job is not to predict the future. Our job is to only prepare you for it these things happen. It's not rocket science, uh, whether it's COVID, whether it's, you know, interest rates rising at a faster pace than they ever have ever risen before, whether it's 2008, whether it's 9-11, like, I mean, I could go on and on, right? (laughs) Those things don't go away. And so you have to conduct business where you're driving the line between safety and aggression, gas and brake, sometimes at the same time, rather than just all gas.
2: It's good ones, man. I mean, you, you, you hit a lot of the themes too that, you know, a lot of investors that maybe want to get into the game or that are really attracted to the game fall too much in love with. And, um, it, it, you know, it diminishes their real ability to understand and then to invest and grow and, and scale. And, um, it's, it's, um, it's really great that it's that you as a, as a consortium and collective genius continue to keep these principles in front of people. Um, I, I think it's really important to dive into something because, again, everybody wants to be bigger and, you know, and better, but <laughs> bigger, not just better. But you talked about to uh, the making money versus keeping money. And I think that's just a really important one to dissect, especially in today's day and age where it's harder to make money and it's always harder to keep money, especially in the way that, that you always talk about it. So, so help educate me there. One of the things that I would do is is. I'm a deep thinker.
0: And, and like you say a word that, that when you're saying it triggers me and, and to ask people, I want to get bigger. Well, bigger, what? Bigger, what? Bigger employee count, bigger deal flow count, bigger, what? Or bigger bank account. Right. What did you start the business for? Um, I don't mean that from a, a sterile perspective, right? Um, you you, you got to do it all. you got to, grow your team, you got, but at, at the cost of what, right? Like there are a lot of people who were doing a lot of business who right now don't have any money because uh, they were focused on getting bigger in deal flow. I, you know, I, I flipped 150 houses instead of 120, or I, I've got, I went from 10 employees to 30 employees. Well, if, if you were operating in an environment or vacuum, which left you at a point when the market changed, where all that evaporated and money evaporated with it, did you get bigger? Right. Because there's somebody who only flipped 70 houses. They ran an efficient business with far fewer employees and systems and processes in place and financial discipline probably more importantly, and they're laughing to live another day. And you what you went home and they're still playing, right? And so I think I think you really have to think first of all, when you say, I want to get bigger. Well, you take a minute to slow down and actually define that, right? We're on a scale. Well, scale what? Right. Like, so ask, just ask yourself those questions. What does that really, truly mean to you? Well, I want to scale. I want to go from 100 to 200 deals. But, you know, if you go broke in the process, does that matter? Or if you don't make any money, does that matter? Right. Well, hey, I'd rather flip 70 deals and make a million bucks than 200 and make none. Right. And so um, I think you got to always be asking yourself when you look at when you create goals, What the, the words you use are important and what they mean to you are important. Um, But to to get deeper on your on your actual question, Nate, you know, there are disciplines in place. We were talking kind of before we fired this up. And it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about is that I think too many investors try to move into the wealth bucket before they get the income bucket right. And, you know, before we get into this, because I have a feeling we're probably going to spend a bunch of time on it. This is a generalization, a discussion that's going to have a lot of generalizations in it. Everybody's different. Everybody's in a different phase, a different stage of their business. Everybody's got a different set of circumstances. Um, so we're speaking of some general generalizations, but um, a lot of, you know, the, a lot of the books, Rich Dad Poor Dad, a lot of the things that we're taught is, well, you know, you need to start, if you're a real estate investor, then you need to start, you need to start buying those rental properties. And the reality of it is, is that, that our audience that we target, Nate, which is your, typically your flipper, high volume flipper, right? Um, I think that is actually the last thing that they should do uh, initially. And the first house that they buy to keep should not really be for the $200 a month that's going to throw off from an income perspective, but more so they the reason they bought their first house is because their active income has become so large that they need the depreciation to offset it, not the 200 bucks a month. Um, Or the cost cost seg of a portfolio, and so my thoughts are this: If if you start, you know, okay, I got into the business, I'm I'm making a couple hundred grand flipping houses, and now I went and I put 30 grand into into buying a a rental, and what do you end up with at the end of that? You got one property and 200 bucks a month after all the bills are paid, and uh, a new headache, and you just sucked oxygen out of your Core business, your active income, you sucked oxygen out of it to go over here and buy a two hundred dollar a month income producing asset in exchange for thirty grand. That's half a salary for the next person on your team, right? And so, my thoughts are: in if you look at 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 money in silos, you have your active income silo. And I think your active income as a, a wholesaler, a, a rehabber, or someone who wholesales and rehabs or what have you, that, that active income silo should be consistent, predictable before you start stripping money away from that source to 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 buy assets. Because here's the reality of it. In most cases, when you first start building wealth, wealth is there's active income and there's wealth. Wealth is your long term strategy. Right. How many houses do you got to have spitting off two or three hundred bucks a month before you look up and go, wow, I've got quite a few bucks coming in just from just from my portfolio. It takes a long time. The more beneficial gains actually in the beginning come from offsetting that through either cost seg or or depreciation, offsetting your income. So why don't we focus on the fact that the fastest way to a large passive income right down here in the wealth side of things is to create a massive active income. Because what happens is, instead of stripping money off initially to try to start creating wealth, if you go from, I'm making 200 grand to 500 grand to 750 to a million to 2 million to 3 million, you create an environment where now, instead of stripping monies off to go, say, buy a house, instead of buying houses, you're buying people, right? You're buying rock stars for your team so you can look up, you know, a few years down the road and go, wow, I'm making a million and a half dollars. I got a rock star team. I'm only spending three or 400 to live because quite honestly, it's hard to spend more than that. You can have the good life, the houses, the cars, the kids in private schools, make nice vacations. And you reach a point where everything over and above that is more money than you're going to spend. And now that that wealth bucket becomes starts to become relevant because you're like, I've got all this excess I actually need to offset my active income and go buy some property, some assets to counter that from a tax perspective. And then that becomes so easy because if you're going to spend 30 grand to buy a house and you're you're making 400 or you're spending 400 but making a million and a half or a million bucks every month you're buying a house. When you get to that point, every month, month in and month out, maybe two houses, right? Um, and you're not, but more importantly, you're not stripping the oxygen, the cash from your business to do it. Granted, there are other strategies, there are burrs, you know, th- there's there's other ways. But at the end of the day, you're if, if you start in, in quote unquote investing or getting into that wealth bucket too early, you're stripping not only monies but focus away. And your core focus should be that active income bucket that you are just relentlessly focused on building and increasing. Um, now. Here's the concept that I think is between active income and the wealth building bucket, right? There's, there's several buckets in between because a lot of times what happens is if you start taking a lot of your active income to buy real estate, et cetera, when something happens like the situation we're in right now with you know, in, uh, massive increase, increases in rates, you, you start to think – like think about Q3 of last year. There's only what – did, what did everybody want? And in Q3 of last year, there's only one word: money, cash, money, right? Not equ- equity's money, but you can't eat equity, right? You can't eat net worth. Everybody wanted cash because cash was was getting sucked out at every. And so, before I, my thoughts are okay, I've got a bunch of assets. I have equity in those assets. My net worth is growing inside of those assets, but as far as from a cash perspective, they're not spitting off. Ton of liquid cash. You say, Oh, well, I'll just go recap them. Recapping right now is pretty hard. Right? So create a dynamic where your active income is is you've put so much focus on it, it's so large and it's growing so quickly that you say, between my active income bucket and my wealth bucket, I'm gonna actually create a retained earnings bucket for my family, a retained earnings bucket for my business. And a retained earnings bucket for my taxes, and then I'm going to set thresholds for each of those three buckets. And everybody's got to have to think through their own thresholds. But if you say to yourself, you know what, I I I I would feel comfortable. I'd like, you know, it cost me twenty grand a month to live, and so I'd like I'd like to have peace of mind knowing that if things came to a screeching halt, I could take care of my family for a year. So I would like to get to where I have two hundred fifty. 250 grand in that, that family bucket it's no touch money it's there for massive emergencies and then I'd like to you know I, with the business I'm running right now I'd like to have 250 grand into that as well for emergencies when things slow down I don't have to fire all my people I can keep them and not have to rebuild so let me start on a monthly basis I'm going to put 25 uh, 25 grand a month for 10 months into my my my, uh, my family bucket. And then, whoa, I hit that threshold. I'm done. I'm going to put 25 grand a month for 10 months into my my business bucket. I hit that threshold. I'm done. Right? And now you say, I've been been responsible. But now if I were to put any more cash away, I'm almost irresponsible. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And so I'm going to start taking that 25 grand a month, 30 grand a month, whatever the number is. And since I've hit those thresholds, I don't need to continue putting monies into them right now because I've created a layer of safety for myself. That way, now that my active income silo is on fire, my family's taking care of an emergencies, my business is taking care of an emergencies. Now, when I come out over here to the end and start focusing on the wealth bucket and take the 25 grand I was putting in my personal account or the 25 grand I was putting in my business account, I hit my thresholds. Now I'm coming over here and every month I'm taking 25 grand to buy a house, right? Now, if the market turns super, super fast, even though I might have a bunch of equity in those houses, I don't have to worry about trying to get it out because I've already created my buffers.
2: Man, you said you were a deep thinker, man. That was some some deep insights right there. Here's what I would have you think about. Let's take it a layer deeper, right? Please, uh, please.
0: The, the active income silo, that's driven by education, by skill set, by drive, by tenacity, by grit, grind, all those things, right? They are things that you control, if you will, right? I've got to improve my skill sets. I've got to work hard. I've got, all those things are things you have to control, things you have to continue to manage. The backside of that, everything from the back, on the backside of the active income box Taking the, the account for your family, the account for your business, the then moving into the wealth box, those are systematic, disciplined rhythms. And if they're just commitments, they're just disciplines. They are not reliant. Again, there's some generalization here. Okay, yes, if you start buying assets, you will have to have some, a level of intelligence to manage those assets. But just bear with me at a high level. Okay, most of those things are are are, are just discipline. If I do them and I do them consistently, predictably and reliably, you are almost all but guaranteed to become wealthy above and beyond just a big active income. It's a matter of discipline. Every month, I'm going to put the 25 grand there. Every month, I'm going to put, then once that's every month, I'm going to go buy a house. And if you just do, if you do those things, it's all but systematic because it's driven in discipline, not on not so much as the
2: active income, which is around skill set
0: and, and, and
2: intelligence, education, et cetera. These disciplines and many, many more is what you and your leadership group at Collective Genius are very often talking about. And I think, you know, one one of the challenges, even with people that are in the Collective Genius is another D word of the distractions. You know, so as, as you see a lot of different operators and a lot of them at very high levels, you know, what are some of the main you talked about distractions, but what are some of the main reasons or distractions that you think take people away from focusing on the disciplines? I think the
0: major distraction is that that people struggle to work efficiently. Um, and I'm sure you're like, OK, well, what does that mean? Um, Gosh, I'm about, you're about to get inside of here and see how warped this thing is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful mind. Let's go. Okay. So here's what I, I mean when I say work efficiently. I spoke to a gentleman yesterday and I said, how many, how many emails do you delete a day, let alone respond to? Right, We haven't even got there yet. Let alone respond to, how many emails do you delete a day? He said, probably 100. I said, so I'm going to say between pushing the delete button that many times, two seconds a pop, 200 seconds, 200 seconds divided by 60 seconds, it's 3.3 minutes a day times five days a week. You go on vacation at least twice a year, so times 50 weeks a year, that's 833 minutes divided by 60. Sir, you are spending 13.8 hours of your life every year deleting emails. Do you really want me to start talking to you about high-level tasks, <laughs> right? And so, think of learning to think of from an efficiency perspective of how you actually handle your work um, is, to me, one of the biggest barriers for um, for a lot of entrepreneurs. In that there are there are things like the, the biggest thing that I would tell people is if you if you don't have a if you don't have a high level. Personal assistant, where you do all the t- talking and they do all the typing. You are you are playing at a super subpar level as a CEO or owner of your business. Um, let me give you one more example. Let's say last year I had seventeen K ones, right? Each one of those comes into my email as a link to a portal to go get the K-1. That email has to be seen, read, processed, link has to be clicked, go out, click the link, open the PDF of the K-1, download it to hard drive, download it up into Google Drive or Tax Caddy for my CPA. Each one, minimum five minute process, times 17. You've got to get to the point where all of the, the processing of, of things at an administrative level can be done by someone else. And you need to you have to get to the point where you talk it and don't type it. Right. So how, how do you do those things? Um, one of the biggest tools that, that I use and, and, and even getting to a point where now not just for me as a CEO of Collective Genius, but to the point where we're splitting virtual assistants between our top level people. Right. You go get a twenty two thousand dollar virtual assistant, eleven grand for each two two executives um, to help them process this kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Um, But Voxer is an an amazing, amazing tool because each morning, if you have if you start out my morning, my morning starts out first thing with a 30 minute meeting between me and my my EA. Um, And she I don't look at email. I don't process it. She goes at nine thirty. Looks through, takes only the items that require my response, stars them, moves them to a spot where it sorts by star. Everything else that she can handle, she handles. Like she goes and gets the K one, she downloads it, she puts it in TaxCaddy. Whereas only the ones that are starred, and then when we go over the starred, she might be saying, "Hey, you know, Eric Brewer asked to to schedule a call with you, Brian and Leon, uh, to talk about this this potential partnership." Right. That is trying to coordinate four very busy individuals' schedules, right? Here, here's the masterful piece of this. When you get really good at thinking about this stuff, you don't even get involved because she doesn't need for my, my involvement for that. All she needs for me to say, hey, do you want me to, to handle that call, setting that up? All I have to say is yes. I don't have to type the response. I don't got to get put that email together with those other three individuals, go back and forth seven times for four people to find a call and then put it on the schedule, attach a zoom invite and get it. Like that to me, people who are not valuing their, their productivity and their dollar per hour is what's keeping the majority of them from being focused. When you're doing all that stuff, here, here's, here's a key difference. There's a difference. Do you have a to-do list, Nate? Yes. Okay. I would challenge you to look at that to-do list. Write one column of to-dos and then one column of projects. I promise you, you've got projects on your to-do list. Sure thing. Not to-dos. Not things you can just check off. They're projects, right? What happens is we don't separate those items. The only reason I can speak to this is because I did it for years, right? <laughs> for years. I put all that stuff in one to do. They're not to do. Some are to do. Some are projects. What keeps us from ending up at the end of the day, every day we are like, I didn't get to what matters. I didn't get to my projects. I didn't get to the things. I didn't get to the rocks on my one page plan. Mm -hmm. And that infuriates you. And you just like, I I got a lot done today, but I didn't get anything done that mattered. And I'm frustrated and I feel like a failure and I'm pissed off. (laughs) Excuse my French. The only way that you do that is to begin to understand there's a difference between to do's and projects and the to do's have to be mastered between with you and someone else. Right. All those to do's takes hours and hours. But if you really get a high level, have a high level daily meeting between you and an assistant who can handle that stuff. Because what happens is you don't ever get to your projects. Because you're the one doing all the to-dos, scheduling appointments, responding to emails, when you could just hit the Voxer button and say, hey, the email that Nate Trumpfield sent me about getting on his podcast, go ahead and get that scheduled up. There was not a single email that you got from me, Nate. That was me. It was my voice. I dictated it, but I didn't type it or create it, right? As far as scheduling goes, you think to yourself that you got to find that scheduling point with you and your assistant. Well, well, okay, you want me to set that up on well, what day? No. You come in, you designate time blocks. Like mine are mine are um, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday between 1 and 4 p.m. I will take calls, podcasts, all that kind of stuff in those blocks. And when those are blocked there and when the to-dos are being handled at the high-level executive meeting daily, you start to free up time in your schedule to go, whoa, I, I could stick a project in there for like three hours. Right, I, I could actually get a project done. I could actually go home and not feel defeated today, <laughs> um, because all the stuff that's sucking your life and creative energy away—that's uh, what you're spending the majority of your day doing. And uh, and some you might say, oh well, I, you know, I don't, I don't, my business isn't big enough to to require a and, and a full time assistant. Well, get a VA for four hours a day, eleven thousand dollars, or or get one for two hours, or or whatever, don't don't put constraints on yourself based upon the size of your business. You might have a business big enough. You need a couple. I don't know, but don't pigeonhole yourself in like in a in a spot where. Um, a perfect example, Nate. We have we have two people in CG right now that are, are struggling with some health issues, and I wanted to do something nice for them, and so we got them boxing autographed boxing gloves by Mike Tyson, uh, send them a note. Uh and said, hey, whatever you do, just keep punching. You know? I, I I had the idea for the boxing glove, but I didn't find it. I didn't buy it. They were shipped here. Uh, the stationery was printed out, put on my desk. I wrote the letter, gave it. All I did was was write the letter and give it back. It was ordered, it was shipped to them. Everything and so you if you don't become a savage around productivity and efficiency, it is very hard to progress at the speed that you want to progress at. Right? Because our biggest frustrations as entrepreneurs is closing the gap between our reality of today and our vision for tomorrow. That's what frustrates you every day is that speed in which you are closing that gap. And usually, what's keeping you, what's keeping ensuring that you go slow is, is not thinking about how you can optimize the way you work.
2: Man, first off, I feel like you're talking personally to me on all this because I can really, really relate. Uh, Splitting to-dos versus projects, and that's why to-do lists get to be way too long to ever overcome. And then that, oh crap, I'm super pissed at myself I didn't get anything done. Um, To you know, look, I think we always say, you know, in, in any realm, in any organization, you know, one of the hardest things to do is figure out prioritization of time, and then certainly tasks, and then that ties into execution, your ability to scale as an individual, as a team, as a leader, as a company, and so on and so forth. And Everything that you just talked through, you, the listener, can apply, whether you're actually in real estate investing or just trying to be a better person, even bring it to the family side, which I know is always you know close to your heart, being a better father, being a better friend and prioritizing what you're doing and, and making sure that you're not brought down by mundane tasks that can be done elsewhere and with some more strategic thinking. And I just appreciate you sharing that. And to me, it it, it certainly touches me you know, personally. Because uh, I know I can personally relate. I know you listening as as well. You know, if we if we get back to you know the investing game, because it, it, we got there from hey, how do you stay disciplined? And again, managing your time and working on what gives you a good ROI on that time is really important. There's a lot more going on in the market and in the game right now. You know, and, and one thing that I know I've heard you talk about that I'd love for you to share. Sh- is it too hard out there? Is there too much risk, you know, or just should investors be investors in twenty twenty three? And how how should you look at, look at being a real estate investor if you can sort of tie some of that together for me? I mean, that's a broad <laughs> that's a broad question. Um, given
0: that you know everybody's in a different phase or stage of their business, I, I'm personally somebody that thinks if you're a killer, there's it's always a time to 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 move forward. If you're thinking about getting in the space, but you're like, oh gosh, it's gotten harder. It's actually not gotten hard. It has gotten harder. In reality, it's just returned to normal. Uh, and we, it's, it was so not normal for an extended period of time that it wasn't normal anymore. And so there's still going to be four to four and a half million houses bought and sold this year. It's not 6.6 maybe like it was uh during the last you know twenty four months b- before interest rates really started rising, but still four point three to four point five million houses are gonna be traded this year in one form or fashion. You don't need to do that many to make a great living. I'm not suggesting it's easy in any shape or form um but if you've got what it takes, I think there's no time like the present to to either one get started. Or number two, if you've been in the business for a long time, I think these are the periods where um, you you separate yourself from the competition. There's other people, they got to go home. They got to go home. And so you might think, oh, well, you know, the transaction volume has been cut dramatically. Yeah, but there's fewer people, fewer people sitting at the dinner table, you know. Um, And so I think there's I think there's massive opportunity. Right. I think you. And with all due respect, I think you absolutely have to proceed forward with a lot of caution right now. So I'm not trying to, to come across as, as you know, hammer down. I definitely think we're in an environment where you have to truly, truly be cautious with risk. Um, if you're, say, for example, in rehabbing properties or, or anything that involves debt, I think you should have a debt to cash reserve ratio, which most people don't. Uh, Most people don't even probably, what does that mean, right? Every dollar in debt you take on or debt service, that every dollar in debt service should equate to uh, a reserve of cash. Um, But so I think you got to proceed with caution. But I I think if you're a a driven individual who is continuously and relentlessly pursuing excellence, that right now is an amazing time to do that. It's a great time to pick up talent while other people are letting talent go. Um, And if you've had the financial disciplines in place, you've got the reserves to be able to do that right now. It's a great time to pick up talent. It's a great time to improve your systems and processes. Uh, it's it's a truly a great time to be out fostering relationships. Maybe the person that knew that agent, that that, that agent you've been after who was referring deals to, to Joe over there, now Joe's out of business and they're like, now's your time. So I think, yeah, I think it's a great time to be uh, an investor, but I do think that you have to operate with a a, a level of caution and if you're in the game and or just getting into the game and, and maybe not doing a whole lot, like if you can get it figured out on the bottom side, what happens on the upside, right? You're going to crush it. So if you can cut your teeth right now when the market stabilizes and, and, and gets heated up again, I think there's a lot of opportunity. So I'm I'm someone that says, yes, press forward, but press forward with caution. I think there's a balance of safety and aggression that needs to be respected right now. I agree. I think that needs to be all the time. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a little bit of gas and a little bit of uh brake guy. I'm not, I'm, I'm never all gas. Um, but those are
2: my, my two cents. I knew that you would take a uh, glasses have full approach, but with discipline, which we've talked a lot about here, you know, there's all these different kinds of uh, shapes and uh, abilities to use a crystal ball, but um, in the Jason Medley crystal ball, what do you expect real estate investors to go through over the next just the rest of this year, let's call it you know through the end of twenty twenty three uh what would you say that we should expect in your crystal ball sure uh first of all, I would say the ball is foggy uh it it
0: is not it may be a crystal ball, but it's not crystal clear uh if you will. <laughs> if, if I had to give my two cents worth on that i i think the fed after this last uh this last raise is probably done maybe, maybe there's another 25 basis points in there. Um, but I think they're done or they, they raise another 25 basis points. Um, not that 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 rates, the Fed rates are tied directly to mortgage rates. I'm not insinuating that. But um, I think in, in general, uh, the market in the last two months relative to Q3 and Q4 of last year seems to have stabilized. But I still think that there's some, some pain to be had. Uh, that's not meant to be negative i think that you don't really see the uh like if i'm standing on my dock and i I throw a rock 20 feet away i can see the impact and i know it happened but the ripple doesn't come back to me at the dock for quite some time and um i don't think we felt the brunt of the 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 hit has been taken but the bruise has not shown up as far as what the fed has done so I think we've taken the hit. I think we're seeing a little bit of, a little green, a little, but, but the bruise has not showed up. So um, I think there's still some pain to come. Um, I think you have to be incredibly diligent. I think you have to pay incredible attention to uh, your underwriting. Uh, I think, I, I just think you have to be incredibly diligent right now, period. And I think you still have to be the rest of the year. Um, I would not get... Uh, too loosey goosey. I just don't think we're just don't think we're done yet. I would I would still continue a move to cash, um, if if possible. Uh, I would accumulate as much cash as you can. Um, if you've already got cash,
2: uh, I, I think there's going to be more opportunity, but I don't think we've seen it yet. My crystal ball is. Uh, if yours is cloudy, I, I don't. I definitely don't have one. But I do tend to agree with you and um, some really insightful wisdom that you dropped throughout this entire show here, Jason. So lastly, where where can the audience, you know, a lot of people should be attracted to wanting to hear more, not only from you, but you have a tremendous leadership group with you that I know you always praise because they are truly that. They're truly phenomenal. So, How can somebody find the collective genius or find you?
0: If you're looking to find us, you can go to uh, Dominate the Downturn. Um, again, dominate the downturn. There's a video there that kind of gives you insight or behind the scenes, if you will, of of the events that we put on and the caliber investors that are at those events and how those events function and what you could expect to gain uh, if you were to uh, attend the one. So it's again, kind of a behind the scenes uh, showing of what Nate experiences when when he comes out to the Collective Genius. And if uh, you want to learn more, you can go check out dominate the downturn, or you can go to learn more about CG. Learn More About CG has a ton of very explicit examples of um, the, the benefits that our members have experienced from from being inside of an organization, the partnerships they create, the joint ventures they do together, syndications, uh, lending, borrowing money, as, as Nate would tell you, um, buying and selling houses with each other, you name it. So uh, you could check out either one of those domains. And uh, once you get there, if you
2: want to learn more, you you'll we'll, we'll be telling you what to do. So Thank you again, Jason. And uh, please go check out Dominate the Downturn or learn more about CG uh, if you, you feel compelled to and if you feel like you fit in that box. Some phenomenal people. And uh, again, thank you so much for uh, what you you've dropped on us today. Some big knowledge bombs, man. And just... Appreciate you for always giving. So appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you, Jason Medley, CEO of The Collective Genius. We covered a lot of ground here and it was another great episode. Please make sure to subscribe on your favorite platform. Check us out every Tuesday for our new phenomenal episode to drop with more power guests like Jason. And you can always find all things about us on our website, realestateofthings.co. We will catch you next time.
1: Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable, common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out limaone.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.